Can we thank God for his faithfulness? Amen. That he is faithful even when we are unfaithful. Even when we don't draw near to him, thank God that he still draws near to us. Amen. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Let's whisper some words of prayer. Our God and our Father, how we do love you and thank you. God, in this moment, we thank you for everything, but chief among those things is your faithfulness. God, thank you that we can count on you. Thank you that you are dependable. Thank you, Father, that when friends fail, when spouses fail, when church members fail, thank you that you never fail. God, thank you that when we fail, you are still faithful. That our faithfulness is not, that your faithfulness is not dependent upon our behavior. But Lord, it's just a characteristic that you have. So God, now on this morning, we give you much glory and much praise because you are worthy of it all. Now, God, as we turn our attention toward the Holy Scripture, I pray, Father, that you would please reveal more of your character to us. God, I pray that you would continue to refine our character in you. God, my prayer is that, Lord, you would arrest our attention that we might hear from you. Speak, Lord, for your servants are indeed listening. God, I pray for myself, Lord, you know the condition in which I stand, and so you know that I desperately need you. Please, Lord, look upon your servant and breathe on me one more time. God, I pray that as the word is preached, you may be glorified and we may be edified. I pray your rebuke against any distractions. I pray your rebuke, God, against any attempts to take your glory. I pray that when all this is done, that no person, no humanity will be celebrated other than the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we ask you for these things and believe them done by faith in your son's name. We do pray. And all of us together said amen. Amen. One more time. Can we thank God for his faithfulness this morning? Amen. 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 Well, uh, Sanctuary family, good to see you all this morning. Um, and to all of our guests, we're so grateful uh, to have you. Uh, my name is Pastor Seth. I am uh, the director of formation here. If you don't know me or we haven't gotten a chance to get to know one another yet. And uh, I'm grateful uh, that I get to proclaim the gospel uh, to you all this morning. Amen. Amen. If you could uh, stand up on your feet for me, if you are able, and let's turn our attention to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17 is what I want to point your attention toward. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. This morning I'm reading from the uh, CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. If you got a different translation, that's all right. It's not going to be on the screen for y'all this morning. Uh, they, I walked in, they were like, oh man, the screens are down. I was like, oh no, whatever shall we do? Because, oh, what a world when we have to have church with no screens. Oh. Now, we want them to work, amen. But uh, I, I want to suggest to you this morning that if not having the screens is a great distraction for you, uh, might this be an opportunity for God to be calling you up uh, to focus a little bit harder 
without a visual or a screen in front of you. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 17. And I want to read verses 10 through 15 into your um, hearing today. If you got to say amen. If you don't say, hold up, bro. All right. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. This I read from my Bible. It, it, it reads like this. It says that as soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And the people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Since they received the word with eagerness, and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Verse 12, consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as the men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Verse 14, it says, Then the brothers and the sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed there. And those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. I want to preach today with the Lord's help in your prayers from this idea, being a people of the book. Being a people of the book. Look at somebody say, neighbor. We are people of the book. And today, you're going to learn what it means to be a person of the book. Amen. You may have your seats in the presence of the Lord. Last week, Pastor Edron, our lead pastor, he kicked off this short mini-series that we have Leaning into our theme for 2024, all year long, we are leaning into this idea that we are people of the book. That simply means that we are people of Scripture, that we hold a high value, if you will, on Scripture, that we affirm the Scripture, that the Scripture is what leads and governs our lives. Amen? So today I want to lean into that concept before we move on and continue to try to help set the framework for the rest of the year that we are people of the book. Brothers and sisters, a couple of months ago, CNN came out with an article that was centered around a rare painting that was painted there in the 17th century. This painting was entitled Woman at the Window. This painting uh, depicted a woman standing in front of a window holding a letter in her hands. Reading this letter in front of this open-faced window, it was painted there in the 17th century. It's a veneer painting, and it's an interesting painting because for several centuries, there was questions around this painting because as the woman stood there, the question was, what was this woman reading? What perhaps was on the letter? What, what were the contents of that letter? It was a question that, that scholars and paint enthusiasts were wondering about. But interestingly enough, about 40 years ago in the 70s, x-rays of this painting revealed something that helped to give a little bit more context. 
it revealed that in the corner of this painting, somebody had painted over something. Somewhere along the line from the original painting up until this point, somebody had painted over something in the corner of this painting. And after painstaking work, uh, the, they finally were able to restore this painting to get underneath this paint that somebody else had painted over there in the corner, and it revealed to them a picture of Cupid. Cupid, that, that roaming god, if you will, of love. And this revelation that the original painter had painted a Cupid there in the corner of this painting revealed or gave context to perhaps what kind of letter this woman was reading. It was a love letter. It was some type of love letter, brothers and sisters, but it wasn't until the restorers were able to reveal this, this fictitious Roman Greek god of love that they were able to understand the context of perhaps of what this woman was reading. And I think that's interesting because the discovery of the god of, of, the god of love lurking in the background gave context to the letter, and it reminds you and I that without God in the picture, there is no context for the words we read. That when we read the scriptures, they make sense when we consider the character of God. But we also only understand the character of God when we read the scripture. Brothers and sisters, I'm simply trying to help you understand that the truth is, is that God's character and God's word are inextricably connected. That we cannot understand the character of our God if we do not read the words of our God. And brothers and sisters, that's why I want to suggest to you that if you want to be a, a growing Christian, that if you want to grow in your faith in God, brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you that it is only possible if you grow in the word. And I know that's not popular today. In this age that we perhaps live in, it's an age in which we search for truth and wisdom apart from the Scriptures. We want to have God, but we don't want to have the Scripture because we don't always like what the Scripture says. Or we want to have God, but we wonder about the Scripture because people have abused and misused the Scripture. But I want to suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that your disagreements with God's word or other people's misuse of God's word does not allow you and I to divorce our, our, our faith from God's word. It does not allow you and I to decide that we have no opportunity or we have no responsibility to lean into the word of God. But the reality is, is that if you want to understand the character of your God, if you want to grow in your faith, it is going to require of you to have a commitment to God's word. That's the simple, central truth of this text, brothers and sisters, is that commitment to learning and growing in the Scriptures is actually one of the primary markers of a people growing in God. Let me say it to you one more time, uh, since y'all ain't got the screen. Here it is. Here's the whole sermon right there. Here it is. Watch this. A commitment to learning and growing in the Scripture is a primary marker for a person who is growing in God. 
I want to suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that you and I cannot grow in our faith apart from growing in the Scripture. And that's a word for you and I today. That's a word for somebody sitting in here in this moment, that if you want to grow in your walk with God, if you want to draw nearer to God, if you want your faith to increase and to mature, it's going to require you growing in God's Word. I know that's probably rudimentary for some of y'all. Maybe that's sophomoric for others of you. But brothers and sisters, somebody's sitting in here, and you're like, I want to draw nearer to God, but I just don't know how. Let me tell you, grow in his word. Because as you grow in his word, you understand more about his character and about his nature. And as you understand more about his character and his nature, you, more, you understand more about your character and your nature. As you understand that he is holy, you recognize that I am not. As you understand that he is faithful, you realize other people are not as faithful. As you recognize that he is loving, it reveals the unloving parts of you. But also, as you recognize that he is holy and that he dispenses good gifts. You recognize the own, own gifts that God has given you as you recognize that he pours out his affections on us. You, you see the reality that God has given you something unique to pour out into the world as well. As you read the scriptures, we get a picture of God and we get a picture of ourselves. And so if I'm going to grow, it requires me studying my word. This is what this text ultimately teaches us, brothers and sisters. Here it is. Paul, he's on another one of his missionary journeys. He's traveling to places in the ancient world in this far off Middle East, this Asian minor area. And as Paul is on one of these missionary journeys, he's having successes, but they're up and down kind of successes. He goes to some places and the gospel goes forth and they receive, but he goes to other places and they reject the gospel. And so Paul finds himself in the preceding verses in a place called Thessalonica. Thessalonica, it's that city where uh, Paul is going to write two letters that are in your Bible right now, First and Second Thessalonians. He's in that city before and as he's in that city, he's preaching the gospel, but they reject it. They, they reject him. The, the Jews of that area, brothers and sisters, they reject the gospel. In fact, they even raise up riots against Paul and drive Paul out of Thessalonica. So Paul, in the middle of the night, he gets on a ship, he hightails it out of there, and he goes to the next city, a place called Berea. And the Bible says that when he gets to Berea, he makes this notation. Our author, Luke, makes this notation that when he goes and preaches the word there, they receive it. But not only do they receive it, they are interested in studying about it more. And not only do they receive it and are they interested in studying it more, people get saved. And, and, and then, brothers and sisters, after people are getting saved and they're receiving the word, now other people come stirring up trouble again, trying to drive Paul away. But I, I want you to note what, what Luke notes about these people in Berea. He says, he says these people were of more noble character. I'm not making it up. Don't close your Bible on me. It's right there in the text. Um, he, says, he says right here in, in, in verse 11, the people here were are of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they, watch this, received the word with eagerness and examined the scripture daily to see if these things were True. I like this. This is interesting that Paul makes a comparison between the people of Berea and the people of Thessalonica. And he says these people in Berea are of more noble character because of their attitude toward the word. 
I like this um, because what this shows you and I, brothers and sisters, is that one of the measurements of our Christian character is our openness and commitment to growing in the Word. That, that, I know, we, we try to measure Christian character in all sorts of ways. How many times you come to church on, on Sunday in a month? Uh, we try to measure Christian character by uh, who people voted for or didn't vote for in the last election. Don't lie, you do it. Um, <laughs> We, we try to measure Christian character uh, by, by how much value people assign to the things that we think are highly valuable. We try to measure Christian character in all sorts of ways. But I like what, what, what Luke does. He, he makes this notation about the character of the Bereans by saying they were of more noble character because of their attitude toward the word. Because of high, the high value they placed on hearing the word of God preached because of the openness they had to hearing the gospel proclaimed and because of their commitment to growing in it for themselves. I came to tell somebody here that you and I, if we're going to exemplify true Christian character, one of the ways we do it is by our commitment to growing in the word. And I want to suggest to you that you can't contend that you have a desire to grow in God apart from his word. Because the Word of God is what reveals the character and the nature of our God. Here it is. Commitment to learning and growing in the Scriptures is one of the primary markers of a people growing in God. And sanctuary, if we're going to be a people of the book, if we're going to claim that we want to grow in God, if we're going to claim that we want to be the light of Jesus in the rest of the world, if we're going to claim that we are the people of God, it's not just found in what we do in the streets, though that matters. It is not just found in whether we sing wonderful songs, though that matters. But one of the ways that is primary has to be our commitment to growing in the Word. And that's a word for somebody because you like, Pastor, well, I've been a Christian a long time, and I didn't did the, did the Bible in one-year plan, and so I know the word, but that doesn't mean you know the word. Some of y'all, like, I grew up in church all my life, and so I can recite the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Reciting it does not mean that it has gotten your heart. And, brothers and sisters, even if it has gotten some of your heart, I guarantee that if you are still here, there's more of your heart that that Scripture needs to get. And so you have to have a consistent commitment to growing in God's Word. So here it is. Here's your homework assignment. When you leave here today, I've got to make hearing and studying the Scripture a part of the regular rhythm of my life. That's it. You, you got to determine that you're going to make hearing and studying the Scriptures a part of the regular rhythm of your life that I'm going to commit to regularly hearing the Scripture preached. I'm going to commit to regularly reading and studying the Scripture for myself, not out of routine and ritual, but because I want to grow closer in my relationship with God. Am I making sense in here? This is what this text teaches us. Here it is. They, they model this for us in three ways, three ways that they model being a people of the book. First of all, watch this. The text tells us that they eagerly heard the word preached. I'm not making it up. Uh, verse 11, the people were a more noble character than those of Thessalonica. Watch this. Since they received the word with eagerness. That word, their word, is actually this ideal of gospel, the logos. When he says they received the word, they're saying that they received the proclamation from Paul about the resurrected king. 
they received Paul preaching. Because when Paul lands in Berea, he goes straight to the synagogue and he begins to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us they receive it with eagerness, um, with, with excitement. That word eagerness in the original language is this idea of desire or willingness. They were hungry to hear what Paul had to say. And I like this um, because it shows us that they approached this preaching moment with a sense of expectancy and excitement to hear the word. Um, I like this as a preacher. <laughs> because what it tells me is it, it, it's a reminder um, that preaching is actually not a one-sided affair. I'm about to help y'all sanctuary. The reason I'm always saying talk back to me in here, the reason I'm always saying I want, I want to see is because, watch this, whereas the preacher may have a burden and an excitement, that burden and that excitement is wasted if there is no eagerness. That if the soil is not excited to receive the seed, then the harvest does not come forth, brothers and sisters. And I want to suggest to you that you and I ought to have an eagerness to hear the word of God preached every single week. We ought to have an openness to hear what thus saith the Lord every single week. I want to tell y'all, I'm always messing with y'all and talking about my Baptist heritage, but I want to suggest to you, friends, that being excited about the word in Baptist is biblical. That you having a willingness and an eagerness to hear about the salvation of the Lord ought to be something that every Christian believer has, regardless of whatever your denomination is. I don't care if they sit silently in the churches you grew up in, and I, I, don't, I don't care if they shouted and flipped over pews. Regardless, we ought to all walk in here with an excitement and an eagerness that says, I'm here to hear a word from the Lord. We ought to, they had an eagerness to hear the word of God, the salvation of the Lord proclaimed. And can I suggest to you that ought to be the same eagerness, the same openness, the same willingness that you and I have. That's why you ought to be excited to get to Sunday morning. I know the week wore you out, but I know the reality is, brothers and sisters, you and I ought to have an excitement on Sunday mornings because when the week wore me out, I'm coming here to hear what God had to say. I, I, I know you faced some trials this past week and got a bad report, but that ought to make you excited to get here on Sunday morning because when I get here, I'm going to hear the good news that no matter how bad the report was, I still got a God that's good. They had an eagerness, y'all, to receive the word. Uh, they, they had an openness, a, a willingness, a desire to hear from God. They, they, they were willing, excited to receive the word. But not only that, watch this. Here it is. People, Thessalonica, um, or Berea rather received the word with eagerness, but check this other part. And they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Um, I like this, uh, Brett, because it wasn't just that they were excited to hear the word preached, but then they went home and studied the Bible for themselves daily. Y'all see it there in the text? I ain't making it up. They examined the, the word um, the words daily to see if these things were so. Um, this is imperative for you and our brothers and sisters, that we adopt this understanding or this attitude that says, I'm going to study God's word daily for myself. Note what the text says. The text says, because they did so, 
to see if these things were so. What, Berea, what the Bereans are doing is they're hearing about this resurrected Jesus, and they're hearing about Paul talk about how this resurrection is a was prophesied long ago, how the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, all of these things were a part of prophecy. So the Bible says that they're examining the Scriptures daily. What Scriptures are they examining? They're examining the Hebrew Scriptures to see is what Paul's saying matching with what God has said. And I like this. Let me, let me, let me tell y'all something uh, and, and show y'all uh, that we ain't in church. We ain't scared of y'all to do this. Watch this. Um, they're checking is what Paul's saying matching with what this scripture says. And I want to suggest to you, you ought to study the word daily so you can grow in your faith, but also so that you can discern what isn't in your faith. And that's major now because we live in the age of spiritual buffets. Where on any given moment, you can eat from any different place, any different theology, any different religion or faith, any different preacher or practice. And I ain't mad about that. If the gospel can go other places, wonderful. But what I want to tell you is it's going to require you growing up in your faith. So that when you scrolling through the buffet, you know what to eat and what not to eat. Am I making sense in here? And that's a word because we live in an age of social media spirituality. Where people's entire faith is being formed by 30 second clips. And they don't know what to eat or what not to eat. And so the Bible tells us, it shows us, models for us that the Bereans, they examine the scriptures daily for themselves to know if these things were so or, or, or not. Um, they they fact-checked it. Um, uh, 2016 uh, was a pivotal year in, in, in American history, but also just kind of in the age of society. A lot of sociologists point to that as the point of a shifting of the age. They say we move from the age of information to the age of misinformation where we are always constantly inundated with all of these different things that are being presented as facts. So uh, you, you guys uh, probably know it. Many, uh, many uh, news outlets began to do this thing called fact-checking, where they would go through statements made by politicians alike, and they would try to discern whether these things were facts or whether they were lies whether they were partially true or whether they were completely true. And I want to suggest to you, brothers and sisters, you ought to study the scriptures so that you can fact check some stuff. So that when other people are saying things about your God, you can fact check what's being said. But I don't want to just leave it there. And, and the importance of studying is so that you can fact check other people or fact check the preacher. I know uh, y'all Google and all that stuff to see what, what we're saying. I know. That's fine. You need to study so you can fact check that. But the other good thing is they, they studied the scripture daily, which also allowed them to fact check their circumstances. <laughs> can I show y'all a benefit of when you study the scripture? When you study the scripture, it allows you to not only fact check what you're hearing from others, but it allows you to fact check yourself as well. What am I seeing and is it real or not? If you, when we study the scriptures, it allows us to fact check the circumstances of our own lives and discern between what's true and what's truth. Um, y'all ain't catching it. What's true 
and what's true. Uh, Dr. Jerry Carter, he pastors in New Jersey. He, he talks about the difference between what's true and what's truth. Uh, circumstances might be true, but your God is what's truth. When you study the scripture, you're able to fact check your own circumstances. You're able to discern between what's true and what's truth. It might be true that you are brokenhearted, but it's truth that God is near to the brokenhearted. It may be true that you have no idea how you're going to pay for these, these, these bills you got, but what's truth is that God shall supply every one of your needs according to his riches and glory. It might be true that you messed up. But what's true is that he was bruised for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. But by his stripes, we are healed. And that there is nothing that you have done that the blood of Jesus does not cover. And so when you study the scripture, it allows you to fact check your own circumstances and say, I know what I'm seeing, but I know my God is bigger than what I'm seeing. I got it. Here it is. Um, they, they were people of the book, and they modeled or demonstrated this by being eager to hear the word preached. They were people of the book, modeled, demonstrated this by examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Does, does what I'm hearing match up with what God has said? And is, does what I'm seeing, is my God bigger than what I'm seeing? Here's the last thing, though. They, they were people of the book, and here's the best part. Because they were. They experienced the effects of the word in their life and others. Note, note verse 12 it says, consequently, as a result of hearing the scripture, studying it daily, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as the men. Um, I, I, I like this. Um, because what it shows to you and our brothers and sisters, it reminds us of the reality um, that as a result of the word being preached, um, many of them were saved. Many of them um, received the word of God. Many of them uh, experienced salvation in their life. And can I tell you, brothers and sisters, that's what happens when we are eager to hear the word and when we study the word. Watch this. People get saved. Um, people, people, people get saved. Um, and, and note who gets saved. It says that some Jews got saved, yes. People who already had some concept of understanding of God. But, but it also says many prominent Greek women, as well as some men. Put the men off to the side, whatever. I like that the writer Luke lifts up this reality that many of those who got saved were actually prominent Greek women. They were people who were of status and stature. Ladies who were of status and of stature. Men as well who were of status and of stature. And what it shows us and reminds us, brothers and sisters, is that it doesn't matter where you fall on the social, socio-economic or social status chart. The gospel reaches everywhere. Old saints in my church would have said, it reaches to the highest mountain, flows to the lowest valley. 
Uh, that, that's, that's where the blood go, reaches, y'all. It reaches to everybody. And I like this because when the word is preached and when the word is studied, it doesn't matter if somebody's got a lot of social status or a little social status. It hits us wherever we are individually and people get saved. Because people recognize their need for a Savior. They recognize that apart from God, they can do nothing. And now, I, I like this because it reminds me of why I preach and what Paul said anyway. He said, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. But then he raises the question, but how can they call on him in whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear if there's not a preacher? And how can somebody preach if they have not been sent? And so then he ends and he says, that's why the, the feet of all preachers ought to be beautiful because all of those who take the gospel to other places, that's a beautiful thing. And because it reminds us, brothers and sisters, that when the word is preached and when we study the word, y'all, people can call on the name of Jesus. I'm getting happy all by myself, y'all. People, people can call on the name of Jesus. Um, they, they, when the word was preached, when the word was studied, watch what happens, y'all. People get saved, but hold on. I, I got to give you this other part. I got to give you this other part because um, I got to be true to the text. There's another experience that they see when the word goes forth. Other people get mad. The Bible says... Many believe, including a number of prominent Greek women as well as men, but when the Jews from Thessalonica, them folk over there, <laughs> y'all don't even go here. <laughs> but when they heard what was being preached, they gather their forces and decide they're going to go from over yonder to here. And the Bible says they do the same thing that they did over there. They start trying to mess up and, and riot and, and push people out. And now you got to understand, brothers and sisters, this is the other effect of the gospel being preached. This is the other effect of people who commit to studying the word. The other effect is not only will people be saved, but the other effect is that some people ain't going to like it. There's going to be some people around who are going to try to call into question this gospel that has been preached or call into this question the things in which you have studied. And I want to suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that's not something you ought to be scared of. That's not something we ought to look at as, as enemies of necessarily, but it is something, brothers and sisters, you and I ought to be aware of to recognize that everybody's not going to receive who and what you've received. Um. That's it. Uh, they, they, they come from other places, and they're agitating and trying to upset the crowds. Here it is. Don't let anybody agitate your faith. Don't let anybody shake your faith. This is why you ought to study the Scriptures, why you ought to sin under the Word, so when the agitators come, they don't agitate you. Um, I'm, I'm done. Um, we, we're, we're people of the book um, this year, all years. We're people of the book. Um, my, my wife, Hannah, is amazing. I don't just say it because it's Valentine's Day this weekend, you know, all that. <laughs> Hannah's amazing. My, my wife, Hannah, she's amazing. Um, her excellence as a wife is only rivaled by her excellence as a mother. 
she's a she's a she's a great mother. Um, um, Zoe, our oldest daughter, she had um, the book parade at her school a couple of months ago, and so uh, she got to dress up as one of her favorite characters um, for the book parade. And so she tro- chose to dress up as a princess warrior character in one of her books, and um, and that's Zoe all day long, princess warrior. That's who she is. So. She chose to dress up as a, as a princess work, warrior character, if you will, and from one of her books. And uh, Mama went in and got all her stuff so she could be ready for this book parade. Hannah went and got her the princess thing, and she went. She made a play sword for Zoe. It, it was amazing. Zoe loved the play sword, and she had her princess. But then the week of, Zoe got sick. And so Zoe, she couldn't go. She couldn't go to school that day. She couldn't go be in the book parade. So she ran around all, all around the house in her princess and with her, her play sword. Um, Zoe, Zoe, she loved that sword, y'all. She, she, was, she was doing everything with that little play sword. She was pushing money over with the play sword. She was touching stuff. With, she loved that play sword, uh, P. She, she loved that thing. And, and, and then, uh, unfortunately, y'all, after a day or so, much of the house got sick. The other kids got sick or whatever. But Zoe was still running around playing with that play sword. Now, one thing y'all ought to know about me is I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. Um, y'all don't take it personal if I ever shake your hand and then run for the hand sanitizer. It's not you. It's me. It's me. I'm a little bit so 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 the kids are now all a little bit sick. Zoe's running around with this play sword, and um, all of a sudden I'm always, I keep the hand sanitizer by me. I was keeping it next to me at all times because I just didn't want to get sick. And so I, I had to get up and had to go somewhere else. And I saw, asked Zoe. I said, Zoe, do me a favor, bring me my hand sanitizer. Zoe, she she went over and she got the hand sanitizer. She said, Dad, I have an idea. I'm gonna bring it to you, balancing it on my sword. So now I'm trying to have a conversation, a dialogue with Zoe, but if you know Zoe, you're not going to win this dialogue with her. And so having this conversation with her, I said, baby, I don't, don't try to bring it on the sword because the sword is it, not stable, sturdy enough for, for you to bring that big bottle of hand sanitizer to me on. And she's like, no, 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 daddy, I'm going to bring it to you, balancing it on my sword. And I said, Zoe, it's not going to work because the sword, it's, it's a play sword, and the sword isn't stable enough. The sword is going to bend. And she said... But no, Daddy, that's fine. It's fine. In fact, look, it's bendy. And I said, I know, Zoe, that's the problem. It's not stable enough. And then as I said it, the Holy Ghost shouted my soul. It reminded me that, that I need a sword that won't bend. I need something stable to balance my life, something stable to put my burdens upon. And, and, and maybe that's why the old saints used to talk about this Bible as my sword. But it's a sword that won't bend when I put my burdens and my pressures of life upon it. It's a sword that will never falter or fail. Maybe that's why last week P.E. preached so brilliantly that the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God shall stand forever. Maybe, Maybe that's why we ought to be people of the book. It's because the book reminds us that it's a living and an active word. It's a word that is sharper than a double-edged sword. One that pierces to the hearts and the, the emotions of what I'm feeling, that, that when I'm reading it, it's always also reading me. Maybe that's why we ought to be people of the book, because Psalm 119, 105 reminds us that this word is a lamp unto my feet and a light upon my path. Uh, it, it means that the book tells me how to step, but it also tells me where to step. 
that it, that it shows me how I should conduct myself, but then it also tells me what ways I should step in as well. Y'all, that's why we ought to be people of the book is because the book is what order our, orders our steps. And that's why the old saints used to sing a song that said, order my steps, Lord, in your word. Order my steps, Lord, in your word. Lead me in your word. Guide me in your word. Direct me in your word. I'm here to tell somebody, y'all, that the book still works, that the Bible still works, that the scripture is still good. And if you want to grow in your walk with God, you need to grow deeper in the word. Bow your heads. Our Father, our God, how we do love you and thank you. God, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We thank you, Father, that it is sturdy and stable, dependable, Father, that every word you have spoken is true. Every word you have declared, Father, we can lean into. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, my prayer is that you would push us, reignite a fire in us to grow in your word. God, I pray that the word might be living and active in our lives. That, Father, as we study we might be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit is speaking. God, I pray this for our church collectively. Let us be a people of the book. God, we ask it according to the holy and righteous name of Jesus, our Savior. And all of us together said amen. 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 One more time, can we give God praise for the word today? Can we thank God for the word? Amen. Amen. Uh, Listen, y'all go ahead and y'all stand on your feet. We're going to get out of here. And... uh, Listen, this is a wonderful opportunity, actually, for me to uh, do a shameless plug. Uh, we're asking everybody to stay, stay in your word, grow in your word, study in your word. Well, here's a great thing. We're bringing Bible study back. Amen? Amen. Church-wide collective Bible study. So starting on February the 21st, Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m. right here, we're going to have collective Bible study. Amen? Amen. So myself and... Uh, much of uh, Pastor E is getting in on some sessions. The lead team is all getting in on some, on some sessions. So if you're looking for an opportunity uh, to jump back in to study in your word more, that's a great one. Maybe you're like, I don't want to do that on Wednesdays. Well, we have other life groups. Amen? One thing I can say is that is that the word is going forth in all the spaces that we're trying to create. Amen? Amen. All right. Let me bless you. Uh, let me pray for you, and then uh, we'll go. Father, would you bless us? Would you help us to receive your word? God, I pray that the Holy Spirit might empower us to study. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit might free us from any anxiety about study. I pray that when there are gaps in our understanding, that the Holy Spirit might fill the gaps. God, I pray that we all may grow as followers. Now unto him who is able to present us faultless before the presence of the Almighty God, who does so with exceeding and overwhelming joy. To you all, Father, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, now until the end of the age. And all of us that agree together said amen. Amen. God bless you. God keep you. We'll see you all next week.